good. Now, keeping your eyes closed, I want you to capture your passion and point in the direction of your future. I stood there waiting as the subject kept their eyes closed and was frozen. This was not how this was supposed to go. Hey, this is Michelle Spiva, and I want to welcome you to today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. So join me on the flip as we get into passion's deception. The situation I was in was dire because I had an audience of people judging me to see if I had truly been able to understand the new process that I was to take uh, potential clients in. Uh, I had gone to a continuing education class to learn how to do deeper work with people to help them access their subconscious limiting beliefs and you know the whole thing. So here I am and this is an abysmal failure because first of all, my NLP skills seem to have failed. My hypnotic skills had failed because the person could not access it. And it wasn't until the, I don't want to call it a postmortem, but it wasn't until uh, we got through with everyone and they got to my case and they figured out what it was. You see, I had used a word that the subconscious was having a hard time dealing with, and that word was passion. Today, I want to talk with you about passion's deception. Now, I thought about another time when I was considering uh, talking to you about this, and uh, it was when I was reading a book, and this book was kind of like bells going off. I was like, yeah, I, I actually was saying things like, that's it. I knew it. I knew it. Now, I read this book after that embarrassing situation, and I, would, I do want to say something about the situation. So asking someone, once you have them in a relaxed state or in a light hypnotic state uh, to point to their direction, I mean, to the direction of their future, sometimes people can use it as a precursor to try to understand the person's connection and understanding with their destiny, their life purpose, their internal call, because a lot of people want to know that. And usually you'll get either someone pointing directly in front of them, slightly off to either side, sometimes even to their heart. But if you have a person who can't point to anything or who points behind them, then the they, they, they say that you probably want to refer them to um, medical professional help to see if everything is going okay with um, the the hormonal centers that help people with um, depression, anxieties, and those types of things. But that wasn't the case here because my subject was another therapist and they definitely were not clinically depressed. And so the trigger for that was the word passion. So this book, so it would be a few years later, or some years later, and I was reading this book called So Good They Can't Ignore You, and it's by Cal Newport, and I like Dr. Cal. He's he's pretty young, but he uh, is a professor who delves into the ideas of work. He has another great book that I love called Deep Work, um, but today I'm talking about 
um, so good they can't ignore you. I'm going to talk about deep work on another podcast uh, because I've been getting a lot of people that want me to go deeper into concentration, how to do it. And they even ask me, how are you able to write um, 200,000 word novels um, when nobody's breathing down your neck? So I'm going to, I'm going to do that in another one. Okay. But for today, uh, this passion deception is real. A lot of times when I am in something, I actually have to remind myself that it is okay if I'm not feeling it. You see, believe it or not, passion is rare. And it's so rare that when you find people who are doing their passion, a lot of times they stick out and they stick out because they are so definite. And so I'd like to uh, because passion is natural passion is a rarity for for you know the sake of argument here, I like to uh, recouch passion into something that I can deal with. And so when I'm dealing with myself and with my uh, coaching clients, my writing students, or even you know just having to sit down, keep my butt in the seat and do stuff, I kind of like pull out. Uh, some of my old anecdotes that helped me get through. Like, for instance, let me share this one with you regarding passion. This is what I say. And to me, passion is a drive generated by a clear path to destiny. And then I also have where it's a result of clear direction and excitement. You see, passion for me is kind of like striking a match. It's kind of like a flash of 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 driven determination to achieve something. And that's more manageable to me because my old understanding of this uh, um, almost immortal passion that runs through you. And if you don't figure out and, and it likes to play hide and seek, you're a big fat failure. I was like, I can't deal with that. And I had that very visceral experience of uh, missing the mark when I was dealing with someone who was in a state where they were in an alpha state where it should have been really easy for them to be able to access a simple question of a direction of where your, your, your life is headed. And because I used that word passion, I short circuited them, you know, and I caused them to have to um, pause. And it, like I said, it got me to thinking. And that's why I started looking at this whole thing called passion. Now, let's just be real. I'm going to be very vulnerable here for a moment. In another podcast earlier, I talked about these four existential paths uh, that are uh, sometimes answers to how people navigate in their life. Here is a, two, a, a one minute quick, well, two minute quick review. So the four Four paths are resistance to life, victimhood, self-identity, and worthiness. When you have resistance to life, it's kind of like you have a divine homesickness where you can't fully commit to to this life. Sometimes people even call it the death wish. Um, There are extremes in your life, and some people are on one extreme or another, and we call those the inferior and the superior. So if you're inferior, say for instance, oh, and it's... uh, this resistance to life really shows itself in relationships. And it's not just relationships with people. It can be relationships with money and food. So let's just do one real quick for um, food. So if you're on the inferior side of uh, resistance to life, you might have eating problems, bulimia, anorexia. Um, you might uh, have hoarding tendencies when it comes to food, or you might um 
despise food and and uh, limit its intake. On the superior side, and I said bulimic over there, but I meant just anorexia. On the superior side, it could be where you are a bulimic and when you hoard food, you gouge on it. You graze all day. There is no impulse control when it comes to your food. You have a high relationship with it in that Unlike on the inferior side where food is the enemy, on the superior side, food is your bestie. It is your best friend. Food is your go-to even when you know that there are other people that you should probably go to. You retreat into your relationship with food. Okay, so I've spent enough on that resistance to life one. Victimhood, like it sounds, entitlement. Nobody has it better than me. Uh, Victims tend to see the world as an obstacle course out to get them, okay? Self-identity, that is the one that most people attach to passion because self-identity is who am I? It is the great existential question. But a lot of times self-identity is not couched in our pursuit to find it. Oh no. The problem here is in this particular self-identity, we look at it as an external thing to be uh, grasped and uh, chased after or hunted down, where you find yourself trying to find your validity of self-identity through others outside. It's kind of like, not kind of, it's the tell me who I am. And don't get it twisted. Self-identity is not for the weakling only who is always trying to get validated by their friends. Oh no. Self-identity is uh, couched in uh, being codependent. Uh, So is victimhood too. But it is couched in codependency where you become the pronoun associated with what you do. So self-identity, oh, I'm a mother. Self-identity, oh, I'm a coach. I'm a billionaire. I am, you know, instead of self-identity, I am me, you know, and and, and those types of things. So um, self-identity is not only where you're seeking for others to tell you who you are, but you um, externalize your identity into what you do. And there is no separation between what you do and who you are. And that's why a lot of times when people have these self-identity issues, when what they do is removed from them, they cease to know how to exist. I'm not going to even go down the path of folks who get fired and then come back and shoot up everybody in themselves because they have this this cognitive disconnect that is so uh, damning that they can't exist. And, And the volatility of this new existence just disrupts everything and causes them the short wire, okay? So then the last one, worthiness. Now, worthiness, that's your hypercritical people. That's your know-it-alls. Thus, that's your people who are uh, so good at looking at what is not on point, what is not right. Your hypercritical um, perfectionist. So they are perfectionists and they are procrastinators because a lot of times, it is hard to be perfect the first time you do something. And so they tend to not do things or they procrastinate because they want to make it perfect. And so it's a vicious cycle. And uh, the worthiness folk, they're the ones always getting um, more research, more certifications, more validations, and kind of like the the resistance to life people who have a divine homesickness, it is said of the worthiness people that they have a divine um, exile. 
where they feel like they've been kicked out and they spend their lives trying to prove to a higher good or a higher calling that they are worthy. Okay, so I've went through those four existential paths that um, they use. Now, why do that with passion? Well, the reason why is because, as you can hopefully see by now, that with those four existential paths, it's hard to know exactly what is your your passion. What is that pinpoint accuracy of what you're supposed to be doing? So in walks this book so good they can't ignore you. And the, the subtitle to that is Why Skills Trump Passion in the Quest for Work You Love. And remember I told you the author, uh, Professor Carl, uh, Kyle Newport, is all about work efficiencies and work and that kind of stuff. So that's where he couches it. But in his opening of the book, y'all, it's an easy read, trust me. Um, he talks about this whole passion. And he he gets it down to the point where he says, you know what? If you want to talk passion, why don't you tell kids who are young, follow your passion. But folks who are grown with grown people's bills do not follow your passion. You pick something and you become so good at it that they cannot ignore you. Now, before I had read this book, because I had been plagued by this passion issue, not only in myself of not knowing what my passion was, but starting to see client after client who was like, I don't know what my passion is and I suck because I'm this age and I don't know what my passion is. I started, you know, learning that, look, pick something, get good at it, and then the passion will follow. And that's when it hit me. You know, I, so now being able to have to look at this every day, not even just daily, sometimes hourly, having to look at this passion and exercise it away from it's uh, validating who I am or it's giving meaning to my life, I have started to realize that there is this big old crossroads or an intersection. I almost named this podcast this whole thing. And guess what it is? It's I, I call it the intersection of depression and passion where you are stuck in the middle. So let me just talk a little bit about that. Um, crossroads. Y'all, I pulled out my illustrated signs and symbols source book. I, you, I hope you can hear me. Like, it's big. It's huge. And what it is, is it's, it's uh, telling you about the symbols. And so I pulled this one out because it was something about choosing that word crossroads that meant something. So at a crossroads, it means that you have to have a decision that has to be made. It also can be a place where two worlds meet. Think about X marks the spot where at that particular point, uh, if you're thinking of it in treasure terms, outside of the X is your normal world, but right in the middle of that X is a whole new world of wealth if you get to that X and you know how to get to that treasure. Um like I said, it's also a gateway to another world. And it can be considered multidimensional. Uh, but it's also a chance for great confusion. And what I have experienced, now I'm not going to say this categorically because it's limited. I have only talked to, worked with so many people. You know, I've only experienced my life intimately. But what I can say from this life and working with these people at that intersection of passion, when you get stuck, it is easy to get into a depressive loop. Now, I already told you what my amended version of passion is, and that's a drive 
that is generated, when you have a clear path to either your destiny, which is the traditional sense of passion, or to get to a clear direction with some excitement. Have you ever saw how you could figure out a puzzle? Let's, let's, let's make this even realer. Have you ever figured out how you're going to make ends meet if the money is tight and a new solution pops up in your mind where you're like, oh, okay, well, I can do this, do that, do that. And then you get excited and from out of nowhere, the energy and the excitement and the drive to do it just takes off and you get it done. That to me is passion. But let's talk about this little um, intersection real quick. Um, I, I mentioned this book before and I thought y'all was, was going to be like, yeah, right. But I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I am surprised at how many people are actually getting this book and, and it's helping them. And it's called Outwitting the Devil. The Secret to Freedom and Success by Napoleon Hill. Yes, that Napoleon Hill, the Think and Grow Rich Napoleon Hill. And it is so cute the way he wrote it. He wrote it as if he had captured the very devil himself and sat him down under restraints and forced him to answer questions. And the big questions that the devil talked about were reminiscent of those four existential paths that I just talked about. He talked about, and this is the biggest one, he talked about aimlessness. He talked about, if I can keep you in a state of utter confusion, I can grab your soul. And I thought it, 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 it was ding, 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 bells going off because I remember the, um, the tale of uh, the famous jazz, um, the, not um, he wasn't a jazz singer, uh, but the famous uh, jazz musician and um, composer, uh, blues. I'm sorry, it was blues. Yeah, blues. Okay. And his name was Robert Johnson. And there's this tale, Robert Johnson played uh, the blues guitar so well that people said he must have made a, a deal with the devil. And so there was this whole st mythical story that came out about him meeting the devil at a crossroads. And uh, that what he did was, is remember X marks the spot? and treasure. And what he did was, is when he met with the devil at that crossroads, supposedly he exchanged his soul for his remarkable talent to be able to be a musician and a songwriter. Now, what I got out of that, oh, oh and I think he, yes, he, he went on and, and wrote a song called Crossroad Blues uh, based on that whole myth. So Robert Johnson was not anybody's fool. Uh, but what I like about that, and the reason why I'm bringing that up is because in that book, Outwitting the Devil, uh, Napoleon Hill um, talks, like I said, he has this conversation with the devil and the devil talks about aimlessness. When you don't have a sense of direction, he can get your soul. He also talks about certain fears. And one of the things that he talks about, he says the fear of death and the fear, he said, but the greater one is the fear of poverty. And when I, uh, when I, I, I was Going back over that uh, about a year or so ago, a new wisdom smack hit me when I was um, considering poverty. And poverty is not necessarily, in this context as I'm seeing it, it's not necessarily the loss of monies or things. Poverty is the loss of meaning of soul. And so when something is taken away from you, the essence of who you are, your personality, that's poverty. That's hell. That's what we assign to the devil. And so going back through that book, Outwitting the Devil, it's not very long at all. Um, it was eye-opening. And so now I'm sitting here 
And I am looking at this book so good, reading it, that, that they can't ignore you, right? And he is talking about simple little things that, you know, it's kind of like, have you ever read something and you know it, but, you know, you're like, mm, do I really know it? Because I'm not doing it. You know, so like certain things, like um, I'm not going to give you all the specifics, but when he talked about don't follow your passion because you're grown and to follow your passion means that you're going to be wandering and you're going to be spending a lot of money. I was like, yes, preach it, preach it. And then he thought he talks um, about how a lot of times instead of chasing accolades and ribbons and banners and stuff like that, you need to drill down and really get good at something. And, and then that way you have more freedom to be very successful because you know what you know and you become this, um, this person who is able to produce. Um, I remember he talks about, in one of his, one of his um, chapters, he talks about the clarity of the craftsman. It's really good, y'all. Like I said, I'm not going to tell this whole man's book, but just suffice it to say, it is really, really good. Okay, so shout out to Professor Dr. Carl um, Cal, excuse me, Cal Newport. Um, okay, so going back to this whole thing of the, the deception of passion, it is kind of like, have you ever had a, one of those beach balls on the water in the pool? And every time you, you swim over to try to get it, if you don't get it the right way, it shoots out further and then you end up in the middle of the pool treading water when and the ball is nowhere near you. That to me is a good, great example of how passion works. So instead of uh, doing that, um, I suggest, now this is just my suggestion. My suggestion is that at that crossroads, because if you don't watch it, um, this pathway of trying to pursue this elusive passion can definitely lead you down the path of depression. That's why it's a crossroads where you've got this passion and this depression and one step in the wrong direction, you're down the road of, of uh, depression. So like I said before, instead of doing that, pick something and give yourself time for it to maturate. And once you give yourself time to do that, you're going to start to learn new things about yourself, first of all. And then maybe you will have a passion for it. Um, I, I remember um, ginger, the, the the fresh root ginger. When I was a little kid, I could not stand ginger. And, you know, I'm from Louisiana originally. And they were like, oh, it's good for you. It'll settle your tummy. Because, you know, I had, you know, stomach issues um, when I was young. Well, let me just say it, menstrual stomach issues. And they were like, it's good for it. I couldn't stomach it, couldn't, couldn't stand it. It was hot. It was this, it was that. But because I wanted to um, get the benefits of ginger way more than my dislike for it, I started eating it. And now I am a ginger fanatic. I absolutely love ginger. I keep fresh ginger uh, in my house most of the time. Seriously, most of the time I try to have some type of ginger, whether it's uh, powdered or fresh in my salads, um, even just pickled. I, I love ginger. And that is because I stuck with it. And to me, when I was able to change my palate and desirability for ginger, like even talking about it right now, my mouth is watering. That's a hot mess. 
But that taught me how adaptable we are when we understand that there is something bigger than our emotions around something and that it's, it's beneficial for us to press through. And that's really what I'm talking about with, with uh, passion. I use that to say that in order to not fall into the deceptive trap of passion, Remove the emotion from it. Remove the um, societal or cultural impetus to make you feel like you have to go chasing after this passion. Like I said in that book, one of the big takeaways uh, that I wanted to talk about today, he has many, but today I'm just focusing on that sage wisdom that he said, look, if you're grown, you don't have time to be trying to chase passion. You better pick something and get good at it. That's what the whole book is. So good they can't ignore you how you will be able to map out your own success. You know, I, I think of all the stories of people who were a success who say, I fell into this. I didn't grow up thinking I was going to be X, Y, or Z. You know, that's what I'm talking about. So now let me talk a little bit about the depressive side. If you don't stop this and you, you keep trying to chase that elusive beach ball in the middle of the, the pool, let's just even take it out of the pool. Let's put it in the ocean of life. And you stuck out in the middle of the ocean, aimless. And depression is there. Now, um, when I'm dealing with people who are, are having a, a, a time, you know, with depression, a lot of times I'll tell them, you know, look, one of the things, and I'm not going to make this simple because depression is not simple. Don't get me wrong. But one of the things you can do is search for any repressed, suppressed, or undealt with anger. A lot of times it's the part of the depression is because you are subconsciously subduing, pressing down, impacting, um, anger. Again, with the same beach ball in the middle of the pool. So say, for instance, you do have the beach ball. Well, unlike passion where it keeps flying away from you, you finally grab that thing and you're like, you're not going anywhere. And so you try to push it under the water so you can sit on it and keep it down. All of the struggle and the energy and the loss of buoyancy and uh, ability to uh, keep your balance even in water that it takes to keep that ball underneath the water is the same energy that it takes to keep undealt uh, um, anger out. Now, the good thing is, is you can exercise uh, anger out. Um, back in the 90s when my mom was, you know, um, reading up on self-help and stuff, there was this big craze where people would go and they would um, under-supervised um, um, under supervision, they would punch out their aggressions and people laughed at it, but it worked. I remember there was a time I worked with a client. Um, he came to me for some anger issues and um, uh, he was a MMA fighter. And he was like, I, I, I need to deal with this because I'm short tempered with everybody. Well, um, we worked on it and we had some great stuff, but he got breakthroughs, but then another problem happened. After he got through expressing out his anger, he would, you know, do his sessions, he would visualize, um, he would ego strengthen and all these different things that, you know, we, we use as tools to help him. He was like, I don't want to be a fighter anymore. I was like, oh my gosh, I broke him. <laughs> and, and so uh, it wasn't that he stopped fighting, thank goodness, because we helped him to strengthen his sense of self so that when he went in the ring, he had a new fuel for it. And um, it helped him 
um, to really grow. And the thing is, is once he dealt with that anger, he was really able after a little bit of a slump to become a better MMA fighter because it wasn't about therapy. It wasn't about unfettered, um, uncontrollable anger that might combust and get him in trouble like it had been. Now he was a functioning person who was making the choice and the decision to do this. So on that note, choices and decisions. Now, depression, like I said, it can be suppressed anger, but that's just one of the many things that it can be. I do want to talk about this this point of being in stuck in limbo, directionalist, aimless. Uh, I, I want to talk about the frustrations of that. And what I want to say is, is that when you are in that situation, I can't guarantee you that some spark of inspiration of an impassioned direction is going to come to you. I can't even tell you that my definition of passion being drive generated by a clear path to destiny is going to come to you. So in the meantime and in between time, here's a good wisdom smack for you. Make a decision. Exclude all choices. So the thing is, is at a crossroads, you have at least four options that you can choose from. At least. But I suggest there are way more. You see, um, you can make a decision to go in one direction. uh, And that's the best way. No turning back. Just go with it. And that's going to get you over that hump. Now, the thing about crossroads is they are usually on one plane, right? You can go east, west, north, and south. But what you don't realize is that you have at least two other directions, and that is up or down. And you can always use those. So don't get me wrong. Down is not necessarily a bad thing, okay? Um, Because down means that you can lower all of that emotional distress that you're in because you're stuck in this limbo. Up could be that you intensify or increase your ability to attract better things to you. So there's so many things you can do. Now, I just want to leave you with this. Passion's deception is that it is easy and that it everybody should automatically know it. Stop that. Don't do that. Okay? So guess what, y'all? You guessed it. My time is up. I sure do thank you for yours. You know what to do. And thank you. Continue to support us by using our Amazon links at michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ to take you to Amazon and help out the show. And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.